Good afternoon, good evening from Jerusalem. I'm Yaakov Katz, a senior fellow at the Jewish People Policy Institute, JPPI, and I'm joined by uh, our president, Yadidia Stern, Professor Yadidia Stern. Tonight, instead of our usual uh, structure of a panel, we're going to, I'm going to shortly play a quick interview I did earlier, just now, about half an hour ago, with uh, Ambassador Mike Herzog, Israel's ambassador to the United States. I urge uh, patience. Uh, ambassador Herzog was in a car on his way to the airport to catch a flight to Israel. So the uh, video is a bit shaky. However, the sound is perfect. And I think you'll be able to hear and appreciate the content of what Ambassador Herzog has to say about what's happening here in Israel with the war on Hamas, but also more importantly, from his perspective, and I think from his vantage point, the issues that matter in the United States right now, the calls that are growing and increasing for a ceasefire, as well as um, a pause in the fighting. And what's going to happen, for example, on Capitol Hill in Congress with the attempt to get the military aid package passed through for Israel, that's been running into some issues. We have a lot to talk about with uh, President of JPPI, Yadidia Stern. But for now, let me, we'll start with the uh, interview I did literally just about 25 minutes ago with Israel's ambassador to the United States, Mike Herzog. Ambassador Herzog, you're busy, you're you're on your way, I think to catch a flight, but we, we're glad to catch, to catch up. There's been a lot of calls right now for a ceasefire in, in the war. Uh, President Biden himself has spoken about a pause in the fighting. I'm curious what you tell people when you're asked about the ceasefire, what you tell your counterparts in the administration. What I tell people both in the administration and in public, in my public appearances, is that uh, there will not be a ceasefire until we uh, achieve our goal, which is uh, to destroy the Hamas war machine, to make sure that Hamas slash Gaza can no longer threaten the state of Israel the way they did on October 7th. So whoever talks to us about a ceasefire, our answer is no. Uh, if people want uh, to provide humanitarian solutions while uh, we fight Hamas and uh, while we target Hamas, uh, then that's definitely um, something we're doing anyway. And we have very close uh, consultations with the U.S. administration and with the U.N. agencies on the ground to make sure that uh, humanitarian solutions are provided. People talk about pause, this is an undefined, to the extent uh, talk about pause, me and a ceasefire, it's not going to, and I, I say it's the same as no one the U.S. government after 9-11 and, and asked for a ceasefire. They should not approach us on that. On that, if talking, if people uh, uh, refer to pause and mean uh, providing humanitarian uh, corridors, safe zones, uh, things like that, uh, we are in the game. But we are not going to talk about ceasefire in the middle of the war because that means a victory to Hamas. So, uh, you know, the the. The feeling, obviously, is that there's a dramatic change that's taken place here and that what was will no longer be. Hamas needs to be destroyed. Do you feel that your counterparts understand that this is very different than what used to be the previous rounds with Hamas? Do they fully get it? Yeah, our counterparts in the administration, uh, certainly at the higher levels, 
totally get it. They understand that what happened is something uh, very different. It's not another round of... This is a watershed event. I'm telling everybody, Israel of October 6 and Israel of October 8 are two different countries. Uh, we're not acting uh, in Gaza. Our war plans are not driven by rage. Uh, they are well calculated, but it's a very different strategic uh, ball game right now. And people understand it. They do have concerns about how long will it take uh, the potential for regional escalation, humanitarian issues, and so on. These are conversations we are conducting with our counterparts in the administration, in Congress, and elsewhere. And we are very attentive. Uh, but uh, the basic notion. Israel will not go back to the status quo that was there on October 6th. President Biden said as much, and our counterparts in the administration understand it totally. You know, um, the Congress is supposed to pass a big uh, aid package for Israel. There's been some issues because of the the breakdown there and the problems inside Congress also with regards to Ukraine. Are you concerned that the standstill will affect the aid for Israel or are you confident it will pass through? We are following very, very closely. And I have uh, had a series of uh, conversations with uh, senior legislators uh, about this. Uh, we say to everybody that uh, what concerns us, we want supplemental uh, the package to Israel pass as fast. I think the issue is less today whether or not there will be one big package, including Israel and Ukraine. More uh, partisan issues separating the two parties right now, and we are addressing that, uh, encouraging legislators uh, to find a path that can uh, ascertain that uh, the package is passed. Accessive and pushing uh, as best we can. Right. And this is obviously strategically important for Israel, I'm assuming. Of course. Uh, of course. Uh, not everything in the package is uh, immediate, uh, but it's uh, strategically important for us. Some of it is, uh, uh, is important for conducting this war, some of it for preparing for future wars, uh, but also the package sends a very strong message that the U.S. and Israel stand together that the U.S. has our back, and that uh, it also sends a, sends a deterrent message to the region. Those who thought that they can drive a wedge between the U.S. and Israel uh, have been proven wrong, and that package uh, is part of this uh, impact on them. Ambassador Herzog, thank you so much for joining us at JPPI. Travel safe. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. We hope for better so that was uh, Ambassador Herzog. Like I said, the video feed was not as best, I think, as we would have liked it to be. But uh, we were happy to be able to get him, even if just for a few moments, um, to be able to discuss everything that is going on. And it seems that the big issue, obviously, for the U.S. right now is going to be uh, the aid package that is really getting stuck there in Congress. And <laughs> they have we have Tsaras here in Israel. They have different SARS of their own there at Congress. But uh, Yadidia, good to have you with us. Um, 
back on the uh, on the webinar, uh, our condolences again for the loss of your mother who passed away last week at the age of, I think, 104, which is a whole fascinating story of, of her move to Israel many, many years ago and the life and family that she built here. Um, but today we're going to be talking about the war and the continued uh, conflict. And I'm curious, you know, if we take a step back for a moment, on, on Shabbat, on Saturday, we're going to mark, mark basically a month, uh, what, what we can call in, in Judaism, and I guess you who are in your Shloshim, this would be marking the Shloshim to an extent of the uh, the 30-day mourning period of uh, since that, that dark Saturday on Simchat Torah on Shabbat when, uh, when the massacre took place on October 7th. And Israel's still very much in this. Right. You see on, on on the multiple levels, whether it's in civilian effort and obviously the military effort and concerns of what's going to happen in the north. And Hassan Nasrallah is giving his speech on Friday. So there's still a lot of balls up in the air. But when you look at this past month and what it's meant for Israel and this Israeli society and the people and the Jewish people, what are your thoughts? Yeah. First of all, thank you uh, for the condolences. Uh, you know, when uh, my man passed away, this is normal part of life, but what we are experiencing is totally abnormal. Uh, so if you ask me to give my insight about the major things that I feel is happening to us, uh, I would refer to geopolitics, to society, and to the Jewish connection of uh, this world. From geopolitical point of view, I think we all agree that the, our, we are experiencing a new reality right now. Israel took off the gloves, and after a few decades of trying to contain uh, the hostile environment, the state of Israel embarked on an all-out war. The purpose is clear elimination of Hamas, and uh, we're using a ground maneuver in order to achieve this. Um, what is the meaning of all of this? This is clear, but what is the meaning of all of this? I think Israelis do understand now that since we have no a geographical depth, we must rely on our tanks to achieve the depth we need. If till now, most Israelis felt that we can use technology, intelligence, and take, and take risks, from now on, for the time being, Israel will not take any risk. And uh, if you translate my words to the north, not only to the south, you understand that we cannot maintain status quo in the north. We'll have to push forward and find another solution to this to the situation, not only in the south, but also in the north. The hope for Israeli-Palestinian peace must be postponed for many years to come. By the way, what you're saying, Yadidia, also applies, sorry, to the Eastern Front, right? If, if we thought one day Israel would be able to just leave the Jordan Valley and put some sensors and radars and drones, this also shows that we can't rely on that. 100%. Begin gave up Sinai Desert for peace treaty, which is holding. We cannot trust Jordan to be the same because Jordan is a weak place. And who knows what will happen tomorrow over there? Let's hope it will stay the way it is but we cannot trust it. And therefore, from now on, Israelis will not agree to rely on anything else but our control on territories. And if there is any hope for something, it must be completely, I mean, the, the entity that will be there must be completely disarmed. 
I think the vast majority of Israelis feel this way. This is a new era from geological point of view. So that's point number one. From society point of view, um, right now, half a million of Israelis are not sleeping in their home tonight. Half a million in a state of 10 million. That's because about 300,000, maybe more, uh, Israeli civilians are soldiers right now. In the including, reserves. Yeah. yeah, in reserves, including six of my kids. Some of them are married, the kids are somewhere else. And another about 200,000 people who uh, were evacuated from the north and from the south. It's amazing, Yaakov. Right now, about third of people in Israel who are kibbutzniks, who live in kibbutzim, are not staying in their places. This is a major earthquake in Israeli society. But what will turn out of it? I don't know, but all I can tell you is that Israelis are united in a very impressive way. Take, for example, my kids, three of them were participating in the protest against the current government. They have no trust in the government, but they're fighting right now in Gaza itself. In the same way, all Israelis are playing the, 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 a part of the war, despite the fact that two-thirds of the country do not trust this government. In a way, it's an amazing phenomenon from society point of view. The last point, the Jewish perspective, it is too early to judge, Yaakov, but uh, it seems that uh, anti-Semitism in the West is raising its head in a very significant way. You know, in London, people take down their mezuzahs. In Canada, children are removed by the parents from Jewish schools because it's not safe. They consider to, to move them into uh, Goish schools, other schools, public schools. In, uh, in Paris, we know uh, hundreds of Star of Davis were marked on the houses and businesses of Jews. This is 2023. So, uh, and our data shows, JPPI's data shows that about 50% of youth Jews feel a decrease in their personal security, and another 31% feel a certain decrease in the personal security. So only 11% of American Jews report that there is no change in their level of personal security. The other sign of this coin is that uh, there's a trend of strengthening the emotional bond between North American Jews and the state of Israel. Those who were part of the democratic, uh, who are part of the democratic left, and they uh, feel, some of them at least, betrayed by the social and ideological reference groups. And this is an opportunity for us, for the Jewish state, for the Jewish establishment, or educators, uh, to rebuild the ties, the bridges between these people and us. It's true, though, that young Jews in North America who used to be on the left, some of them are drifting away because of the violence that they see that's happening right now uh, in Gaza. You know, one of the big issues that I think it, the world is obviously talking about, but we in Israel are still are also grappling with, is obviously the hostages. Right, which comes up against, I'd say there's a couple of stark, important values here, right, to to rescue them, to bring them back. The social contract that was violated 
It would be one thing if these were soldiers, but there's so many civilians who are taking 30 children. Today's front page of the British Sun newspaper showing the photos in a very heartwarming um, gesture. But as Israel continues its offensive in Gaza, and we knew that we know that when it began about a week ago, the families of the hostages were basically protesting against the prime minister, telling him you should not be doing this. And on the other side is the question of the priority. What comes first? Do we first have to rescue, rescue the hostages and pay whatever price it is? And by the way, in Israel, I don't know how many of our viewers and listeners know this, but there's there, there's growing uh, consensus almost, I would say, about, among some several top senior former uh, security officials that Israel should release all 6,000 or so security, Palestinian security prisoners that it has, if that's what it takes to get back these 200 now. And I think it's just, just been updated today, to 242 hostages that are being held. So that's on the one hand, do we have to do everything? And on the other hand, though, we have a country of 9 million people that have to be defended. So how does a country manage those two that might, you know, maybe I would argue that actually the ground offensive, and this is what people are saying also, it creates pressure on Hamas, maybe it creates better conditions, but still you see very too strong social pressures here. How do you, what do you make of it, Yadidia? Well, unfortunately, we do have past experience of these issues, and we have to learn from this past experience. Yaakov, there is no absolute value on anything, including on such a dear issue of saving our brothers, our mishpoche, from being held as hostages with a life-threatening uh, risk, including kids. So it's not a light matter. But if you ask my opinion, I think giving up, giving up, all the terrorists, the murderers that we have here, in order to get back our friends, mishpacha, everybody in Israel knows somebody who is who's there, doing that will be a disastrous surrender to terror, the biggest one in human history. Obviously, Hamas will ask for a guarantee that after the exchange will happen, uh, we will not attack them. Obviously, they will not agree to exchange, and then we can go on. Right. So doing that will show the world that the weakest enemy of Israel, Hamas, this is the weakest enemy of Israel, was able to put Israel on its knees, and they will achieve their goals. This is life risking for the country as a state. Now, our sources, I'm talking now the Jewish citizen of the state of Israel, we know from the history and we know from our sources, from the Talmud, from the Talmud, that you shouldn't overpay for captives. So many stories in our past teach us the same way. So despite the fact, you know, I daven three times a day. And each time when I daven, I add, not only me, everybody, we add here long paragraph talking about this situation. So we don't trust God. We have to trust ourselves. We're praying to God, but we have to trust ourselves. Israel should not surrender to Hamas because of the tactic uh, achievement, which is terrible from human point of view, of them in the 6th of October. It cannot be done. It should not be done. It's a not moral act. It's not official act, 
and hopefully it will never happen. And this is going to be one of the big issues I think that's going to accompany us in the weeks to come, right? The the, the prayer, I guess, the hope will be that uh, somehow the pressure and the being boxed in in Gaza that by the idea of ground forces might push Hamas to feel that its actual survival, its survival is on the line, and then it would be interested in making a deal that would have better conditions. But just one minute, should we remind our listeners that all the heads of Hamas today those who conducted this amazing massacre, all of them were released yes. by Israel in a previous such a deal. Do you want Yechia to... Sinwar, the head of Hamas in Gaza, was released during the Gilad Shalit uh, prisoner swap. I mean, you know, it, now that you mentioned that, Yedidia, there's also something, a little, another absurdity almost of life, which I'd love to hear your thoughts about. So Sinwar was in Israel's prisons. He was released when Netanyahu made that deal back in 2011 to secure and retrieve Gilad Shalit, who had been in Hamas captivity for five years. Sinwar, when he was in jail, had a brain tumor. He was uh, treated in an Israeli hospital. His life was saved by Israeli doctors. Israeli taxpayers paid for his medical treatment. I mean, you know, it's it, it's tough. It's, it doesn't make sense almost, right? Yeah, because you talk rationally. Because you and me were Western. And we think this way. This kind of enemy is not coming because of national reasons or because of interest. This is a jihad. This is fundam- fundamentalists who are being pushed by their religion, the way they interpreted it. So uh, you did something to me, great. But still, my God tells me that I have to wipe you out. And you have to realize these people do not want just to take some, you know, uh, uh, national uh, sovereignty of part of Palestine, as they say. No, they want to wipe us out totally. Right. And everybody must agree, must understand that it is not rational. And that's why the fight is so severe now. And I think many, many Israelis, including myself, who are, who are peace seekers, are now understanding that in order to have peace, we have to be, right now, brutal. Yeah, it's the change is going to be deep within Israeli society. Before we wrap up, Yadidia, I, I want to ask you, uh, you know, you've seen what's been going on at Harvard University. Uh, you got, if I'm not mistaken, your doctorate there. Your wife, uh, Karen, got her doctorate there. So you, you, the, the the Stern Friedman family has deep ties to uh, to to Harvard University. Um, there was that image just yesterday of uh, of the video that came out of a Jewish student just being surrounded by a mob, and one of the 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 students apparently surrounding him and not letting him pass was uh, apparently, according to what I've been reading, uh, the editor of the Harvard Law Review. And, I mean, you're you're, you're a former dean of Bar-Ilan University Law School, a uh, long, long-serving long law professor. What do you make of all this? It's unbelievable what we're witnessing, Yaakov. You know, all my life, I've been proud of Harvard. As you said, I, I met my wife at Harvard. My first daughter that her husband is right now in Gaza. She was conceived and born in the area of Harvard Yard because we were there. 
You know, my youngest daughter just the other day took the, one of the sweaters I bought her saying Harvard. And I told her, you have to take it off. We cannot wear it right now. Till Harvard will decide where are they. Unbelievable from personal point of view. Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed today uh, of my connection to Harvard, but it's not personal, obviously. When I was a dean, you mentioned it, I sent about 40 PhD students to Harvard, Yale, Columbia, Ivy League universities with full scholarship. Why did I do that? I wanted them to be eventually professors of law in Israel, and they are right now. Many of them are in their 40s and 50s right now. And the idea was to bring in to Israel some of the liberal thinking of human rights. I was trying to import values. And now when I look at these places, and the way they behave, and the way they are not looking for the truth, veritas, you know, that's a slogan of Harvard, yeah. and Yale, where are these slogans today? Where, where are they? What do they think? Do they need us to stop the donations in order to see the truth? So right now, it's unbelievable that I have to say it, it is not safe to be a Jew at Harvard University. So I really hope this is just a moment of darkness. I don't think the whole place is like this. I think right now this is, uh, um, you know, a moment of darkness that will hopefully uh, disappear. But right now, Harvard and the rest of them are in moral bankruptcy. They have to be careful not to lose their status in the future as the light on the hill. Very disturbing and just another element of what's happening um, with this war and how it's playing out. Uh, Yadidia, thank you very much for joining today's webinar. Thanks for being with us. And thanks to all our viewers and our listeners, uh, as we've been doing for the last, this is our fourth week now, uh, running this webinar started on October 8th, uh, just a day after the brutal massacre and Israel went to war. We will be continuing this next week as well. So we look forward to seeing you again. We take a break for the Shabbat for the weekend, but we will be back on Sunday. In the meantime, let's hope and pray for some quiet here in Israel and around the world. Thank you very much and Shabbat Shalom to everyone.